Hey there, listeners of Flyover Country. It's Jared Crawford bringing you a little bit of a special release episode today. For those who have been uh, listening over the last few months, we've covered pretty extensively the GOP primary debate cycle. Uh, and with a couple of CNN town halls this week, Scott had the opportunity to be in studio to live react to the DeSantis on night one and then Ramaswamy town hall on night two. So we wanted to bring you Scott and his panel's thoughts on those two performances. So up first is DeSantis, and then we'll have uh, some reactions to Ramaswamy. So without further ado, here we go. Scott Jennings on CNN talking DeSantis and Ramaswamy's performances on the CNN town hall. Here we go. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. With me to break down all of this that we just saw and heard, Jamal Simmons, uh, Scott Jennings, Anna Navarro, and Paul Begala. Uh, Everyone, let's get your takes here. I'll start with you, Scott. How did you do? I thought those were the best I've seen him uh, really lately on the campaign. I think this format, and Jake did a great job with it, is a far more instructive format if you really care about what candidates think about issues instead of Roman-style Coliseum attacks on <laughs> one another. So I thought if you're, if you're an undecided voter and you're looking for somebody that, to talk to you about stuff you care about, he did a great job tonight. I thought his answers on the economy, the electability question, and on immigration were all really center-cut for Republican primary voters. Um, You know, what he's fighting, though, is not really policy. What he's fighting is the inevitability of Donald Trump and the idea that he's inevitably going to win. And really, he's also fighting the national polling, showing him beating Joe Biden. That was the big argument in this campaign for so many months was that Trump Trump can't win, that that Trump can't win. And now Republicans see these polls showing Trump winning. And so the whole strategic idea of strategic voting, I want to vote for the person I sort of like, but may have a better chance of winning. Well, that's out the window with Trump winning. But overall, I thought DeSantis had a terrific night. Jamal? I will have to say, I think he, I walked in, I came into this tonight with very low expectations for the governor from Florida. Um, I thought that he met my low expectations and maybe got a little bit more, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, uh, He seemed more comfortable than I thought I'd seen him before. He seemed a little bit more, um, a little bit more personable, uh, a little bit more confident. But he still has ideas that that don't make any sense. For instance, on immigration, he thinks that we should tax the money that uh, Mexican immigrants send back home to their families. Now, isn't the point of of our immigration reform that people should be able to stay home, be near their families, be near the people they love, not have to come to the United States to have a better life? So why would you lower the amount of money they would be able to get from their families over here? It just doesn't make any sense from a policy perspective. So all kinds of things like that that he said tonight, they just don't seem to really uh, make sense. Yeah, I would say stylistically. Well, not what I would say. My wife, like 10 seconds ago, just texted me and said he was much less robotic. Uh, and, and that's kind of grading on a curve like Jamal. My answer is, yes, AI is getting better every single day. It's almost <laughs> lifelike. Uh, we shouldn't grade him on a curve. He wants to be the commander in chief of the greatest military in the world, the leader of the greatest country in world history. It, he's, just, he's just not getting it done. I'm sorry. He, he was better than usual. But it may not be enough. I mean, where we are ahead of the Iowa caucuses. Well, listen, I'm uh, I'm shocked I'm saying this. I think people are going to be shocked that I'm saying this because I truly don't like this man. I, I, I you know, I live in Florida. I've lived under him um, for five years now. And I particularly these last couple of years, I think he's been awful. Today, I think he was strangely close to human. 
And, uh, and, and like uh, Scott, I agree with Scott. I think this is the best I've seen him of late. That's a very low bar, but this is the best I've seen him. I think this is a very good format for him. I'll tell you what I didn't hear him do today. I didn't hear him say the word woke. I didn't hear him go after Disney. I didn't hear him go after drag queens. I didn't hear him go after black history. I didn't hear him try to defend a positive side of slavery. He was talking about substantive policy issues that the American people and the people of Iowa care about, not stupid manufactured culture wars, which is what he thought was going to win him the nomination. That is a really important point because, I mean, it has been, you know, a little over a year since he won his reelection in Florida and his candidacy has changed dramatically. And in some ways he's battling on the turf now uh, of just every other Republican, including Donald Trump. And he took it really to Trump in, in quite a lot of ways uh, uh, tonight that is different than we've seen. He, he said when Trump gets off the teleprompter, you don't know what he's going to say. Good enough? No, because here's the reason why. He doesn't have an indictment of Trump. There is no thematic point he's trying to make about Trump. It's a scattershot approach. Every time Trump does something, he has something to say. The one thing you can say about Nikki Haley is she's very consistent from the beginning, and she says, listen, we need a new generation of leadership. Let's leave the old drama behind, right? And so every time he does something, she fits it into that framework. That's not what uh, DeSantis is doing. What DeSantis is doing is just taking a pot shot at Trump every time Trump does a little thing wrong, which makes it hard for the viewer and the voter to know exactly what your argument is about why DeSantis should be picked more than Trump. I disagree. I, I think his main theme on Trump is he's a different person today than he was when he ran in 15 and 16. He said it tonight. He said, he, you know, back then it was about America first. It was about you. Now it's more about him. The one answer on Trump that I thought was the most interesting because it's aimed squarely at the people who show up at the Iowa caucus was on abortion. Mm -hmm. And he hit Trump on flip-flopping on abortion, which was really squarely aimed at those voters. But then, but then, when he got the follow-up about the Texas case, and he talked about the law that he signed with the exceptions. He didn't, he didn't exactly comment on the Texas case, but I thought that answer was pretty deft, actually, in pointing out that he has been a consistent pro-life candidate. But that question about exceptions, I just lived through this in Kentucky in our governor's race, where our Republican uh, was uh, for the current state law, which doesn't contain the exceptions, but the heartbeat bill in Florida does, and he signed it. And I, I, I thought that was pretty smooth, the way he threaded that I, needle. Pro-life, but the exceptions I, are not really negotiable for most voters. So I, I actually agree with you. I think uh, when that shot he took at Trump and the abortion position for those social conservatives was a very effective thing. The problem that Ron DeSantis has is that you've got one chance to cause a, uh, create a first impression, mm -hmm. and he's made that first impression now. And his campaign has that, that, that certain stench of political death that is very hard to get rid of. The other problem he has, I think, on this abortion issue, and, you know, I wish somebody had pushed back on him on that, is we had a very similar case to what's happening in Texas in Florida in March. A woman named Deborah Dorbert, who was carrying a child that had no kidneys and was sure to die. And because of the laws in Florida, because of the lack of exceptions, because doctors are terrified of being criminalized, of being sued. Because of all of that, this woman had to carry that baby to term in Florida and because she didn't have the money to go out of state and hold it, hold that baby for 90 minutes while it gasped for air on, in her arms 
To me, that is something that Ron DeSantis needs to explain, Ken Paxton and Gov, uh, Governor Abbott need to explain, because women in this country deserve an answer as to the cruelty and the idea that these men in the capitals of these states are telling women what is health care and what is not. He described it as, as extremely rare, but it's actually the rare cases that make the point when the, the state itself is being inflexible. Well, it, you're gonna say. it was. I, I think all in all, it was still his best moment. I think Scott's right. It just took the Republican primary voters. Uh, and I don't think it helps him at all in a general election. I don't think he has to worry about the general election. Uh, to put it in your context, one year ago, just to put it in context, this is the stench of loss and death that you talked about. One year ago, Ron DeSantis was beating Donald Trump 56 to 33. He was 23 points ahead of Trump. A year ago in the polls today, he's 48 points behind. That's a 71-point erosion after going to all 99 counties, spending $50 million. I mean, that could have cost him $71 for $5 million. He did say today he was the only candidate who could beat Trump. Providing no evidence, of course, but that's what he said. His point is that it's unlikely, in his view, that a candidate who sort of came in the old Republican Party before Trump can muster enough support to beat Donald Trump in the current iteration of the Republican Party. His point is he's able to draw from both the pre-Trump era, but also appeal to people who have gotten used to the Trump-style Republican Party. The problem with this argument is, of course, the polls. <laughs> Trump is crushing in Iowa. Trump is crushing in New Hampshire. Trump is over 60 percent nationally. I mean, it would be unheard of, unprecedented for someone with Trump's lead at this point of the campaign to lose the nomination for his party. And the Trump people will tell you that uh, for all of the trying that's gone on in Iowa, their organization is solid. They've got a, a, a very high floor that they think they start with, the people who are showing up no matter what. And I still maintain, regarding the consolidation question that came up, that Iowa's not big enough for DeSantis and Haley, and New Hampshire's not big enough for Haley and Christie. But as long as that circumstance remains, Trump is squarely in the driver's seat here. Do you think, Jamal, that this is the moment for DeSantis that he has to perform, otherwise it's not going to happen in Iowa? Oh, this is obviously the moment for him to, to, to get this right. What happens in campaigns is there's a moment where, as you get toward the end of the year, people start to take off, and you see somebody begin to ascend. It happened to Barack Obama. It happened to, you know, it happens to these candidates. Uh, he's got to do it now, or it won't happen. One of the reasons I had low expectations tonight is because I don't think Ron DeSantis has any idea how to run for president. He's not really a leader. So in the beginning of this campaign, the Trump forces spent $13 million to define Ron DeSantis. Everything that we know about Ron DeSantis comes from Donald Trump and his people telling us that Ron DeSantis was robotic and wasn't really a good person to, to follow. He, he didn't have the charisma, right? They set that stage early. He, it was unanswered. I think that this is another example of Ron DeSantis not really being able to just perform on the presidential stage in the way that winners do. So and the other problem he has is, listen, he, he you know, he talks about Nikki Haley being an establishment candidate, but he also is an establishment candidate who depends on big donors. And a lot of those big donors have now moved on. They were quick to be with him at the beginning. He had a lot of the big Republican whales with him in the beginning. They saw a disastrous 
campaign, a disastrous campaign launch, and it only got worse from then, and they have moved on. And Ron DeSantis is not Donald Trump, who's got a bunch of small donors that buy pieces of his whatever it is, sacred tunic, sacred suit that he bought to, you know, that he wore to court. No, that's, that's not Ron DeSantis. He doesn't have the charisma for, you know, to have an army of small donors. He needs to depend on special interests and large donors, and they now see him as damaged goods. So here's where we are now. We're, we're on the cusp of Iowa and New Hampshire. We've got an Iowa governor who's endorsed Ron, De, Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. and a New Hampshire governor today, Kristen Inouye, endorsing mm-hmm. Nikki Haley. What, what does that create for the early part of this Republican primary? Well, I think Scott alluded to this. The best possible situation for Mr. Trump, right? So, so I think DeSantis may be a little bit stronger in Iowa. If he's smart, he'll close on abortion. That was his best answer tonight. Over Christmas, all those Iowans could be snowed in. They'd be watching TV. I saw we saw Mike Huckabee do this. He ran an ad yep. with the window pane behind him that happened to form a cross. I mean, it's a brilliant <laughs> ad. Okay, and he needs to. So, but if he does that, Nikki Haley's much better position in New Hampshire, where independents can vote, and she's a lot stronger there. And so, once again, the the opposition to Trump is divided. And it's going to allow Trump to conquer. The, the trick for him is just to get close. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. unlikely that Trump will be beaten. So if you're DeSantis, and, and the, the, I guess the benefit of being way down in the polls is that you can beat expectations more easily. But that's the trick here is he has to get close enough to make it seem like there's still air in the balloon. And if Trump wins this thing by 20 plus points, it's going to feel very deflated, not just for DeSantis, but even ahead of New Hampshire. It's going to feel deflated for Haley, for anyone else who's still in this race. The and all-time it, Republican it, record in Iowa is winning by 13. Yeah. Bob Dole, 1988. Okay, Mr. Trump is winning by 27 right now. Yeah. But can he hold that? I don't know. But that's a, if, if I say he's got to win by more than 13, that sounds like ridiculous. I mean, I, 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 and I, and Iowa, it is, is more valuable when the person, you know, like a Barack Obama, who mm-hmm. is not expected to win, right. surges to the front, and then it can mm-hmm. catapult them through the early primaries. So if that doesn't happen, then it could be over. Yeah, and, and here, here's the trick. You know, I learned a lot about politics from Paul Vigallo when I was first starting out um, in this game. But there are rules that we all think about, right? The future is more important than the past. Or, and, you know, elections aren't, aren't rewards for, you know, great behavior. Donald Trump seems to have taken all those rules and balled them up and thrown them away. So as we think about what's happening in politics, in the Trump era, nothing else seems to matter. 13 points was, was the record before. We might see that smoked. We got an 82-year-old president running in the, in the Democratic side. All sorts of things are happening. It's wild out here. We don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> One other thing about the Trump campaign in Iowa that I think is, I think this is their best campaign team they've ever had. He's run three times mm-hmm. now. This is the best campaign leadership they've had. They're the most organized they've ever been. They, they've got all the levers in play, and they have shaped this Republican primary, not just in Iowa, but in state parties across the country. This is the best prepared he's ever been going into any of these elections that he's been involved in. And so if you're DeSantis or Haley or these other challengers, taking on a former president who's very popular among your party is tough enough, but then to run up against the most well-organized operation he's ever been able to put together, all of his issues... Uh, aside, they are prepared for this election in a way he's never and, been and before. And it's a former president who uh, who views Ron DeSantis like a chihuahua yapping at his ankles, right? <laughs> he's not even bothered by, by Ron DeSantis but, anymore. He doesn't even retort. But Ron DeSantis, when he started out, he wanted to run against Joe Biden. Now he's running against Donald Trump right. and Nikki Haley. We heard him attack Nikki Haley repeatedly in this debate, pretty, pretty aggressively, 
Abby, he's running against Ron DeSantis. He's trying to change the narrative. He's trying to change the perception that people have created nationally in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in the early states about Ron DeSantis being robotic, being awkward, uh, being a one, you know, a broken record with one tune on it, woke, woke, woke. He's trying to change that, that perception. He's running against Ron DeSantis. Does it, um, Anna was making this point, he's moved away from all the controversial stuff. In some ways tonight, no red flags on a lot of different points. Is boring good for DeSantis <laughs> at this point? This is one of those rules Jamal talked about. It used to be. Yeah. I think no mas. I, I, Mr. Trump, you say what you want about him. He's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the, in the same way that a Category 5 hurricane is exciting. <laughs> but he's exciting. He's compelling. And, and I, I do think if, if, if Governor DeSantis wants to beat Mr. Trump, he's got to beat him. And he hit him harder than he ever has tonight. But he left a lot on the table. He pulled his punches uh, on, for example, when, when he was talking about uh, the rise in anti-Semitism, which is something as a Florida governor he does know and care a lot about. He didn't mention that in his very state, Mr. Trump had dinner with Nick Fuentes. Who is that's because he's that's a more controversial he's, Well, that's figure. because he's trying to preserve the Trump base, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, he, he said so today. I, I, look, I, I think Trump is entertaining, but he's also likable. I mean, let's. The Republicans like Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Even the people who think maybe we should move on, they're like, well, I like Donald Trump. I like what he did. I, you know, I think he's, he seems like a, a good guy who came along at the right time, and he smashed the Clintons, and he smashed the media. DeSantis's game is not likability. DeSantis's game is just constantly churning out center-cut conservative Republican content that every Republican watching that would say, mm, sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Now, the question is, is being right on virtually every policy good enough? Or do you have to have that other gear, which Trump has and no one Trump else in the race has? I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm, not sure, um, I'm not sure conservatives would say going after the largest employer in Florida, Disney, over uh, having a different opinion than the governor is a conservative value. And he's, he's got a, Ron DeSantis has a big problem right now, which is that Donald Trump is beating him like a conga drum in Florida where people know him best. I mean, he got a lot of praise for that on conservative media, but the voters, it's just perhaps not enough. Everyone. All right, that is night one. And after a quick word from our sponsor, we'll be back with part two, reactions to the Ramaswamy CNN town hall. Hey there, Flyover Country listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by the Bluegrass Media Lab, Kentucky's premier media studio. The Bluegrass Media Lab offers a wide array of services, including video production, podcasting, live shot broadcasting, web development, media training, and more. You name it, they do it. Head over to bluegrassmedialab.com today to get in touch. Now, back to more Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Joining me now, CNN senior political commentators, Scott Jennings and Anna Navarro. Scott, uh, 33 days to go before the Iowa caucuses, which is obviously the critical kickstart to this race. Is elevating a January 6th conspiracy theory the way to win over those voters? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think his campaign is in very good shape, truthfully. I think he's mostly playing for the future, whether that's as a Donald Trump surrogate in the near term, whether that's as a member of his administration, whether that's as a future presidential candidate in, in 2028. I mean, he, he is a young man. So, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't think this is the way to... I mean, but this was the most decaffeinated we've seen Vivek. I mean, he, he has been a very 
hyper candidate uh, through all the debates and other. But the most animated he got tonight was on January the 6th and pushing this this idea that was an inside job. I mean, it was an inside job. I mean, the head of the federal government at the time was sort of encouraging it. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go down that road, but yeah. but not but that was the most animated. Everything else, he was very decaffeinated. He was very subdued. Uh, and and, you know, when I, look, what I'm reminded by watching him tonight, there is a there's a marketplace for conspiracy theorists in our politics. Mm -hmm. He knows it. And that's why he's doing it. That's why Robert F. Kennedy Jr., I think, has a following out there because yeah, he's been a conspiracy theorist. So I'm I, why is he doing it? Because there's a market for it. Not enough, but there's a market. But there's for it. A, you know, there's always a market for a flash in the pan uh, shooting star outsider uh, candidate, right? Whether it's a Herman Cain or Andrew Yang. In this term, it's Vivek Ramaswamy. When you dig a little deeper, when you listen a little closer, you realize that Vivek Thomas Jefferson Ramaswamy, uh, who spent 55 minutes quoting Thomas Jefferson, says, talks and talks and talks and talks, but says precious little. It's all platitudes and cliches and spreading of conspiracy theories and hawking books and hawking podcasts and saying very little, really not answering anything. And what did you make of, of his demeanor? Because as Scott noted, you know, he came out not as, you know, yeah. rambunctious as he did at the, even the last debate. I mean, at that debate, he told Chris Christie to go eat a meal in a disagreement. He called Nikki Haley a fascist. He compared her to a Dylan Mulvaney ad. I mean, he was asked a question by Riley Miller, a voter there, about, you know, they want a, a vivacious president, but he said, I want a president who has tact. I'm fascinated by how different people, different demographics uh, react to Vivek Ramaswamy. In my family, I have everything from 30-year-old and 40-year-old crypto bros who call each other dogs. I have young women. I have people my age and older. The crypto bros think he's eloquent, think he's well-rounded, think he's the best thing that they've ever heard. The uh, people my age and older think he is a snake oil salesman. And the women, by and large, think he's Weasley and don't like him at all. Find him impolite and insufferable. Yeah, he, he has a real ability to just slough off and, and forget about things that he said five minutes ago, five days ago, five weeks ago. Or, or wrote about in his books. Yeah, attitudes that he's exhibited and pretends like it, it never happened. And, and he, he did that tonight. It was interesting. Scott Jennings, Anna Navarro, as always, thank you for watching the town hall with me and here to break it all down. Thank you so much for watching our special coverage tonight of the Republican presidential town hall with Vivek Ramaswamy. Stick around because King Charles starts right now. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm -hmm.